Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. And we've started a series that we could call kind of a banking series. Uh, I have an article up, uh, which is part of one of the books, uh, for years now, Banking on the Kingdom. Because Jesus actually mentioned banks. I mean, the tables that he turned over in the temple were actually, when they, he said he tipped over the tables in the temple, that it actually is the same word that is translated in the same Bible as bank. Because trapezia is the word in the Greek for bank. And, you, well, it wasn't a bank, it was a temple, right? Well, I can give you hundreds of examples. Uh, there's actually been recent books written about it. There's been books written about it a uh, hundred years ago that the temples like the temple at Ephesus, the temple of Diana, the temple in Jerusalem, all operated as banks. Even the temples in Egypt operated as banks. Not necessarily so much as your local banks, uh, although uh, a lot of times welfare systems were run through these temples. And so, therefore, they would be a sort of uh, depository, a social safety net uh, for the people to provide a welfare system for the people. Of course, Moses had set up a welfare system for the people. Abraham had set up a welfare system for the people. But their systems, as they set them up, operated on charity which is quite a dif- difference from the systems that were set up by people like uh, Nimrod or Caesar or Pharaoh or FDR and LBJ or Cloward and Piven. <laughs> so, so all these people, they set up systems of social welfare or work to promote systems of social welfare like Cloward and Piven that were not based on charity, but based on force, based on uh, fear of an exercising authority that would come and take away everything you had if you did not contribute. Obviously, that is much different than what Christ taught. It is certainly much different than what Moses taught. And it is certainly much different than what Abraham and all the prophets taught. And yet I, I listen to so many people who, who believe that they're studying the Bible. They, they believe that they understand the Bible. But they actually are so far from the very simple understanding of it, it it's shocking sometimes. One one individual who's on a Bible group, uh, kind of a home church group, was talking this morning about uh, the fact that uh, after we die, do we sleep? And he was teaching the doctrines of sleep rather than just being dead, that you're sleeping and that the resurrection will come and you will be raised from the dead. And that's a popular theology 
or doctrine. We can call it a doctrine because it's really a doctrine. And it's not really a doctrine of Christ. It actually just takes a couple of verses in the Bible and creates this whole doctrine. Uh, and how do we know that those verses were not just using words as metaphors? Because Christ used metaphors all the time. He used uh, parables all the time to try to point to principles. But people are always uh, unmooring the metaphor from its meaning and creating doctrines. Now, I don't know exactly what happens to you after you die, but I can tell you what happens to you when you covet your neighbor's goods through men who exercise authority one over the other, which was a doctrine of Christ, a very clear statement by Christ, that you are not to be that way. And we can go back into the Old Testament and we can go all over the New Testament. We can go into the epistles. And they're constantly talking about iniquity. And Jesus was talking about the weightier matters, which were law, judgment, mercy, and faith. And and evidently the Pharisees were not attending to the weightier matters and he condemned them. Are the churches that are established today supposedly in the name of Christ, are they actually as concerned with the weightier matters as Christ was? Or are they concerned with whether when you die, do we go to heaven? Do we go to hell? Do we do we sleep until we wait for the resurrection? Which was almost not mentioned anywhere in the entire biblical text. But they want to know the answer to that. You know, it's like the Trinity. Now, there certainly is God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And you can call that a Trinity. But Jesus never mentioned the word Trinity. It wasn't important enough for him to expound upon it very much at all. He he did say that something existed that included God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But exactly what that was, he did not go into much detail. But he did go into a lot of detail about what love is, what charity is, what righteousness is, and what unrighteousness is. But people are more concerned. They want to know, do you believe in the Trinity? They don't want to know if you are righteous. Do you believe in righteousness? Do you believe in the way of Jesus Christ? Because we know that Jesus said many will say they come in my name and that they do all kinds of things in my name. But I don't even know them. And he actually calls them workers of iniquity. So it would seem to me very important that you make sure that you're not a worker of iniquity. And we have enough biblical texts that have survived throughout the ages. Even with poor translations that are rampant. In the modern day, there's all kinds of uh, juggling of translations. We talk about that all the time. And then there is the the secondary uh, confusion that comes with the fact that over the last 50 years, over the last 100 years, actually over the last 10 years, people have changed the definition of words in the English and I'm sure they're doing it in the Swedish and the, and the French and the Spanish and the Chinese. 
they're altering what words mean. You know, like religion. Religion was how you took care of the needy of your society. And, and pure religion is to do it unspotted by the world. And the word world there meant constitutional order or system of government. That's, that's what it says in the concordance. I didn't make it up. It doesn't mean planet. I mean, I don't know how the planet could spot your religion. <laughs> how, how does the, you know, like spots on your windshield or something. No, it has to do with the fact that the constitutional orders and systems of government set up by men like Herod, Caesar, Pharaoh, Cain, Nimrod, FDR, LBJ, were all systems of social welfare, a social safety net, as we call it sometimes. Some people like to call it a social safety net, that depends upon forced contributions. I mean, you're compelled to contribute. And people desire the benefits that those systems offer. So aren't they desiring the sweat and blood and toil of their neighbor? What is their neighbors to force their, asking men who exercise authority to force their neighbors to contribute to their personal welfare? So where, you know, they don't have money for food, now they have money for food. They have gained the money for food. They are greedy for that gain, even though they know it does not come from the men who give it to them. It comes from the men they take it away. And now, much different than the Pharaoh. I mean, when we desired the grain of Pharaoh that came from his temples, which were banks, you know, the art of the temple was the art of banking. And so when Aaron knew the art of the temple, he evidently knew the art of banking. So evidently, Aaron wasn't down in mud pits like they show in the movie, you know, squeezing mud between his toes to make bricks or, or pull heavy stones. He was working in banking <laughs> at the temple. <laughs> See, so to understand that the temples were banks. Now, all temples weren't banks. I mean, like the Temple of Mineta wasn't really a bank. It was a depository, but it wasn't really a bank. It didn't operate so much as a bank. It operated as a mint. You actually, you know, Caesar actually had lots and lots of gold. And... uh and because a lot of times these leaders had lots and lots of gold, Constantine had lots and lots of gold, he kept the gold and gave the silver away. <laughs> now, he gave silver away as well, but he, uh, I mean, gold away as well, but uh, he loaned the gold into circulation. But he had to have somebody make it into coins, and that's what the Temple of Mineta did. And, of course, Ephesus, the temple of Ephesus that we hear about in the Bible, it was making coins as well. And there were certain arts and, and skills in the making of those coins, which we've talked about in the books. But I bring this up because we're still in the midst of this series on banking so that you could understand what banking is. And the different forms of banking. There's all kinds of different forms of banking. And part of this... You know, we're already in this series, and then I had a conversation with somebody uh, in one of these Bible groups who was just bad-mouthing capitalism. That capitalism was a terrible, terrible thing. 
and that we need to get rid of capitalism because capitalism requires usury in order to produce gain. And I thought, like, have you even read the definition of capitalism? <laughs> I mean, the, the definition of capitalism really, the official definitions really haven't changed a lot. I see them fudging them a little bit in Google. Of course, everything gets fudged a little bit in Google. Uh, maybe I shouldn't say a little bit. But uh, the reality is capitalism is, is not a political system. Capitalism is not even a banking system. Capitalism is a system whereby what you produce, the individual. I mean, capitalism, the definition talks about an individual. And so the individual has a right to his labor and what his labor produces. Now, you know, half the individuals out there, at least, or somewhere in that vicinity of half, are women. And women have a labor that produces a child. Do they have a right to that child that they produce? And, of course, they couldn't have done that without their husbands, although his contribution originally isn't very much to that operation of giving labor and birth to a child. But if he is a true husband and father, his contribution will, you know, the wife's labor is, well, I I shouldn't say it's brief. What we call labor in childbirth is rather brief compared to all the labor it's going to take to get that child to adulthood. And hopefully the husband and wife work as a team and eventually produce grown-up children that are not still children by the time they reach the age of 20, 30, 40, or 50. Because some of them I see out there are still acting like children even though they've gotten to these higher ages or chronologies but the reality is that's that's their labor. That child, that next generation, and I'm on my third generation now. <laughs> I've got I've got grandchildren and great grandchildren. So that's the product of a lot of labor. My wife's labor and my labor. Somebody was just saying the other day, I think my wife's out working right now, so I can say this, you won't hear me. <laughs> but he says that he was just astonished that my wife is constantly going in and out the door and she's over here working there and she's out here with, you know, feeding this and doing that and, uh, he's amazed at how much she just keeps going. And, and of course, with us, it's just, that's just the way we look at it all the time. I mean, we're up at, you know, four or five o'clock. I mean, if we sleep till six, we've slept in. Uh, and then we, sometimes we didn't get to bed till eleven o'clock last night. It was after eleven. But, uh, work is what's kept us happy. And we all have our chores and a rule has always been in the house to our children as they were growing up. That nobody's chores are done. Because people would say, my chores are done. No. I would say, nobody's chores are done till everybody's chores are done. <laughs> you know, somebody says, can I do this when I, my chores are done? Well, since everybody's chores are the fa- chores of the family, you can't do that till everybody's chores are done. And it got to be a habit to help your brothers and sisters out to get their chores done. 
Some had that habit more entrenched in them than others, but children will be children. But they've all grown up and they're all hard workers. And I would like to see the fruit of their labor be theirs. And that's what capitalism allows for. That the fruit of your labor is yours. Now what you do with it, you could loan it out as at interest or you could covet it in a big treasury or you could put it in the bank or the exchequer as Jesus calls it and, and collect usury. But if you do all these choices, with every choice you make, there is a consequence. Because when God created the universe, he created a cause and effect universe. And capitalism doesn't require any law except for freedom. Capitalism allows you to choose what you wish to choose to do with your labor. When you walk out in the morning, you can choose to go work on this or go work on that or go do this or go do that. And sometimes, you know, like if you want strawberries, you have to shovel manure. And if you, if you are willing to put in the labor, you should be willing to reap the fruits of that labor. Hopefully, when you do reap the fruits of that labor, you will also not be slothful in sharing, which is, takes us back to the weightier matters. You thought I forgot all about that, the weightier matters <laughs> that, that Jesus wanted us to attend to. He didn't want us to sit around and debate when we die, do we sleep? Do we go to heaven? Do we do we go to a, a, a place in the clouds? Do we sing music, uh, you know, and play instruments? Or what do we do? The kingdom of heaven is now, at the moment. If you take care of the moment, tomorrow will take care of itself. That is the teaching of Jesus Christ. Don't worry about tomorrow. Here's this guy not only worried about tomorrow, he's worried about whether he dies and goes to sleep or if he goes to another. And meanwhile, he's not attending to the weightier matters. It's a distraction. Most of the doctrines that have come down to us through the last 2,000 years, and I can say most because there's millions of them, I mean, with 40,000 denominations, and some people say that number's way up from that, but with all these different denominations, I kind of lost count after about 50. <laughs> but this is what I hear, that there's about 40,000, 50,000 denominations. They all got doctrines. Most all of those doctrines are just made up by men. They're the doctrines of men. If you want to look up the doctrines of Jesus, you can look it up, but don't add to them. Don't take one verse here and one verse there and start creating a whole set of doctrines. He made plenty of direct statements. You know, forgive, love thy neighbor as thyself. Well, if you're demanding benefits from a nation that is bankrupt, you're not very forgiving. You're saying, I, I paid in, I have a right to these benefits. Cause I paid in to these benefits. What well, the country's bankrupt. It's in debt. By millions and millions and millions and billions and trillions of dollars. <laughs> so, what's the deal? You still want the benefits? Well, the only way you're going to get benefits, according to one of the top economists in the United States, 
Thomas Sowell, is to take something away from your neighbor. Because the government doesn't have anything anymore. The government's in debt. And since you're, you can only take so much away from your neighbor and you're still borrowing money every year to get more money to give out to people who want, who are greedy for gain, who want free stuff. Because all the stuff they put in the Bank of the United States is long gone. It was gone before they put it in, in most cases. Because we've been doing this for a, a century. The only way you're going to get it is to take away from somebody else. And because you're doing it by debt, you're taking it away from your children. So now, to this day, you're not only back in the bondage of Egypt. Your children are born in the bondage of Egypt. And you're putting them farther and farther into that bondage by borrowing more and more and more because you're so greedy for gain. But all you have to do is repent and seek the kingdom of God and you can turn this whole thing around. Now, you may not. You know, somebody once said, corruption is just another form of tyranny. But see, it's not the corruption of the bank. It's the corruption of the people who sit in darkness that are greedy for gain. That has brought us to... It's not the bankers. The bankers are kind of con men, you know, but a con man runs his con by appealing to the larceny in the hearts of the people. And so, we're going to take some of those scales off. We're going to turn a light on in a room filled with darkness so that you can understand why corruption is just another form of tyranny. A great man said that once. That's actually Joe Biden said that. <laughs> so anyway, so Joe Biden can say great things. I thought it was funny that in the news this week that Joe Biden has thousands of followers on Twitter, but they've now appeared to discover that half of them are robots. Well, the other half of them are zombies. <laughs> Which are people that go around with glassy eyes, not caring who they will hurt, and uh, with no conscience whatsoever, because they're corrupt. They're they're dead in their hearts and in their minds, and they they actually want to destroy, and are willing to destroy their neighbor and the, the future of their children, so they can get more free stuff today. And when you point out that, you know, if they pay your student loans, all you're doing is putting the debt of your student loans on everybody else who didn't go to college. Because they're not forgiving the debt. They're not making it go away. They don't even have the power to forgive the debt in the government because the government, the government's in debt to those bankers. <laughs> those nasty bankers. But it isn't the banker's fault. It's our fault. Because we haven't been seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So that's why we started this series and we just did a little recap. But we will, we will continue to take you down this road to not only enlightenment, but to the truth and light itself. Be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory. 
and we're going to be talking about seeking the kingdom. I've got somebody calling in on the other line, but uh, we'll just let that go to machine. But anyway, this idea of banking is is not necessarily your enemy. And even, you know, this guy was thinking that capitalism is a bad thing and he doesn't really understand what capitalism is. He thinks that it it requires, in order to have gain, that you have to have usury. Well, evidently, he's never planted a seed in the garden because you can plant a seed, you can plant an orchard, and you will have gain without usury. You absolutely do not need usury in order to have capitalism. And uh, another thing I pointed out in our brief discussion, because, you know, I, but I, I only take, engage in these discussions with some of these people so that I can see what people don't see. To look at the pattern of how they can't see certain things, and then I try to bring light to those things so that they can see them. But often they do not have a desire to see the truth. And one of the things that makes that a prison for their minds is that they want to believe in their own vanity that they already have the truth. I don't believe I have the truth. But I, ha- I, I look through the crevice and see little pieces of the truth that God chooses to show me. And the more I try to share them with everybody else, with these radio broadcasts and the podcasts and, and the YouTubes, and, and uh, we, we need to get the rest of the YouTubes up on some of the other media that is out there. But uh, the more we share that with other people, then the more I am fulfilling my duty to the God that I follow, which is not the gods of the world, but the God of righteousness, the God of life, the God that gives life. So I want to keep pointing out these things that people who sit in darkness don't see. Because I think it's very important that they see them because they are dangerous. And, you know, I mean, even Frederick Nietzsche said, uh, whoever fights monsters should see to it that in the process he does not become a monster. And if you gaze, you know, too long into the abyss, you will find the abyss gazing back at you. So, people who focus on the bankers as if they are the source of the evil in the world, they are already crippling themselves so that they cannot see the whole truth because... The bankers have no power except for the power that we have given them. They are not the problem. We are the problem. But that is the good news. That we are the problem because we can do something about us. There's very little we can do about the bankers. They're already out there. They already have a full stock of everything that you can imagine because... You know, I mean, when Klaus Schwab says that you will own nothing, <laughs> and, and then he uh, adds, and you will be happy, you already own nothing. You own nothing because you haven't been participating in capitalism 
for a long, long time. When, when you decided to change money, what we used to call cash, which was like gold and silver coins and copper coins and all those kinds of things. When you tried to, to pervasively turn those things, throw those things out into your civil society so that you don't have them anymore in your purse, in your pocket, but they're off somewhere in a mint somewhere or you've melted them down and maybe made a big statue out of them or whatever because that's what the golden statues of all the Greek city-states that had those things were doing. Those, they, those were in the temple because those were the reserve fund. I have a webpage up called Reserve Fund at Preparing You. You can go do it. And I just show you countless, countless, countless examples of how the these gold depositories, these central treasuries, which Jesus warns you about, and, and of course Moses said, no, you don't want a golden calf which is a reserve fund. And, you know, because the people don't have the gold anymore. They've taken it out, you know, the rings uh, broke them off and they've taken them from their children and because they that's their inheritance. That's how you passed inheritance down to the next generation. Your generation produces an, the next generation and the next generation inherits what you produce. That only happens in capitalism. That doesn't happen in socialism. It doesn't happen in debtism. All they inherit is debt. And so that's all you're passing down to your children is debt now. Because you're all in debt. Because your whole nation is in debt. And you become a part of the nation. And we explain all this in so many different places. It's like there's a gigantic jigsaw puzzle of information out in front of you on the coffee table. Uh, and and that jigsaw puzzle is all in pieces, scattered all about the table. And you have a box over here, and you kind of look at the box, and it's not the same size as the pieces on the table. And, and the color is actually a little bit different, but it's close. It's the same picture that you're trying to put together. And then you, you try to take all the pieces there that are in all these little pieces, and you put them together and make this puzzle. And this is the kingdom of heaven puzzle that you're making. And so you look at the Bible and, and you look at all the things that are read, written in the Bible. In the Old Testament, New Testament, all the words of Jesus, all the doctrines of Jesus. Because if he didn't say it, it's not his doctrine. He's not inferring doctrine. He told us what his doctrine was. And, and that was actually recorded and it's come down miraculously through the ages. And he, because he told it in such a way that they could kind of cover it up, but the reality is they don't even, they don't even know what they're covering up anymore. Because you guys all sit in such darkness, you can actually read the Bible that says, thou shalt not covet. Paul says, don't covet. Those who covet have, turn away from them, have nothing to do with them. Somebody wrote also on one of these groups that we're supposed to cast out the people that do all these things that Paul lists off. He was referring to just a couple of them. He wasn't talking about the whole list. He was just picking out, I think he was after homosexuals or something. We were supposed to cast them out, but that doesn't say that. (laughs) It says turn away. But what does that word turn away? You know, and I've gone through 
the last couple of weeks I've been going through a lot of our existing articles and and the whole Bible and trying to show all these different places where it talks about this. And there's so many that talk about not coveting, not desiring the dainties of the king. If you sit and eat with a ruler and you be a man of appetite, put a knife to your throat because he serves you deceitful meats. What's that mean? It's pretty clear. If you're sitting to eat with a ruler, a man who can exercise authority over others, who can force the contributions of others, which when Saul did it was called foolish by Samuel, and his kingdom would not survive because he did it when he forced a sacrifice of the people for a good cause. But his kingdom was going to fail for that reason. That was the reason why he was going to lose the crown. And it was going to pass to David. And David started doing the same thing, but he he stopped. He put it off. This is why David was a king after God's own heart. He he repented. We see the similar conversation going on with Paul with the guy who's in charge of the treasury in Corinth. Trying to say, you know, you ought to do it our way. Through charity. And... You know, he was trying to convince the head of Corinth. I don't know whether he ever did. I don't see any evidence in history that... But I know that when Constantine, who was in a lot of financial trouble, I mean, he had to boost his finances by killing his partner and his partner's family and seizing their whole family. And anybody else in any other city or town that... uh, did anything he didn't like, he would go and absolutely destroy the town, collect all the gold and silver in the town and all the property and turn it into his property, then make everybody take an oath of fealty who who wasn't already sold off into slavery. That's the kind of Christian Constantine was. But he realized he was in trouble. The temples were... At the time, once you realize those temples were banks and those temples were handling... You know, minting of money, uh, keeping birth records of, of people, keeping marriage records of people. It was all government buildings. All these temples were government buildings providing these services. You can go to Preparing You. And we've I've created a rather brief article on it showing you what they were doing in these different temples. I, I've got lots of footnotes so you can go check it out. But when they're saying temples, especially in Rome, they're just talking government buildings. And provide all the services that your government buildings provide today. Because see, your church has no daily ministration of taking care of the needy of your society. Oh, you have a little token one, but you don't do it. And, and like I said, when you decided, you know, a hundred years ago plus, to create and use what somebody else created, Pledge notes, notes, you know, promises to pay. That's what a note is, a promise to pay. And call it money, call it cash, because it wasn't called cash before that. You know, just 1890, notes were not cash. They were not called cash. If it said cash only, they would not take a note at the store. 
And there were lots of notes around. There were lots of banks making notes. But they were temporary. I was just explaining to somebody the other day that if you you were a grain farmer and you had a bin with, say, 10,000 pounds of grain in it because that's your harvest and, you know, you're hoping to harvest more the next year. And you could go and sell off a ton or whatever. But you had a neighbor came and he was raising sheep. He could come to you and say, you know, can I, would you like to have one of my sheep, you know, for lamb meat, for a feast, for your family or whatever. And pay me in grain, which people call barter. You could do that. And he said, well, I, the sheep walked over with me. Here's the sheep. But I want 200 pounds of grain for this 150-pound sheep. And the guy says, okay, it's a deal. But I can't carry the 200 pounds back. But uh, I know you're not always here. You're often out in the field. Uh, can you give me a note that says that you owe me 200 pounds of grain? Oh, yeah, sure. And he writes out a little note, 200 pounds of grain. He gives you that note. That note can be used as money now. You you can give it to somebody else and he will give that grain to, you know, you can say, well, I want to go buy this dairy cow and I'll give him a couple of these notes that say 200 pounds or 500 pounds of grain and I can get this dairy calf and raise it up. And I'll go trade another sheep with him to get the grain I need. But I can't carry all 200 pounds back, so I'll just take... You know, I actually, I said, I'll just take a hundred pounds when I was explaining this. And I said, well, I'm kind of old now. Maybe I'll take 50 pounds. <laughs> and he writes on a note, took 50 pounds on this day. And you can come back and get that other 150 later. That's like money. And it's a note. And it's perfectly okay to do that. It makes sense. You have the right to do all kinds of inventive things in a kingdom economy. But... That's not what they were doing with the Federal Reserve. And and we're going to tell you why they didn't do it, how they didn't do it, and what their goal was. Because one of the guys we talked about last week, uh, yeah, it was last week we talked about him, was uh, this uh, Edward Mendel House. And I've added to the page where that is, and I have an audio up for our afternoon program. is up on there. I'll be adding more audios to that page. But that guy was a banker. Uh, he was actually a farmer at one time, but then he got into banking more heavily because his father was wealthy. And so he got into banking because he was making more money in banking. And he became advisor to Woodrow Wilson, and he advocated... The Federal Reserve System got Woodrow Wilson to sign that when, you know, Congress passed the Federal Reserve Act. I think they passed that on December 23rd. And there is suggestion that they did it on that day because many of the uh, legislators had already gone home for the holidays. And so they had to vote on December 23rd. And pass the Federal Reserve Act. Because they might not have been able to get the vote if everybody was present. But they just had to have enough present to have a quorum, take the vote. And then the Federal Reserve came into being. And this was kind of partly the brainchild, at least he was in on it from the beginning, of this 
Edward Mendel House. Well, Edward Mendel House hated capitalism. Now, wait a minute. I thought that banking and usury was a product of capitalism, according to this other guy. No, no, it wasn't a product of capitalism. You don't need banking with capitalism. As a matter of fact, banking, to some degree, depends on how you what you mean by banking, is the antithesis of capitalism. Which is, of course, why Moses said, no, you don't put your wealth in a central depo- in a central depository, you know, a golden calf. You put it in your purse, your purse. You be responsible for it and the management of it. And that's also what he did with the the social safety net of the Israelites. That the power of the social safety net was in your pocket. Because your pocket was the social safety net for the rest of society. Your treasure was your neighbor. He was the one who was going to help you out. Now they created a a system by doing it. Which was had been around since before Nimrod. Which was the tens, hundreds and thousands. Jethro knew about it. Moses knew about it. Jethro wasn't suggesting that you organize in tens, hundreds, and thousands for a social safety net. That already existed. He wasn't drastically changing the way the Israelites were already organized. They were organized by Joshua before. What he was doing is saying your court system should follow that same pattern. That if if there was a dispute the local ten-family congregation, their minister and maybe his minister would gather together, you know, about 12 guys, and decide whether or not who was innocent, who was guilty, who was, you know, in need of those weightier matters. You see, I came back there again. <laughs> those weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. And they would gather regularly. We see them do it in, in the book of Ruth. They had a question of law. And they decided the facts and law of the case. Quickly. Because they were already organized in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. This is the same way they organized their military. Because they were entirely a militia. They did not have a professional army. They were told way back in Deuteronomy 17, 16. If you ever have a king, you do not want to create a professional army. And you want to write it down that they can't create a professional army. That you have the, you, you're already organized in the tens, hundreds, and thousands to take care of your daily ministration. Now you will use that same pattern to help create a system of appeals courts. And a system of courts for local matters so that Moses doesn't have to handle all of them. And it's putting the power back into the hands of the people. And by doing that, you have the ultimate division of power. They always talk about division of power when they look at the Constitution, which of, but in the kingdom of God, the division of power is every man because there is no king in the kingdom of God except for your connection to the Holy Spirit of God. That's your comforter. That's how you connect with God is through the Holy Spirit, through, through this divine consciousness. Of course, a lot of people claim that they're listening to the Holy Spirit, but how do you know they're really listening to the Holy Spirit? Well, it tells you in the Bible. 
by what they do. That's why, that's the doctrine of Jesus. Not those who say they're listening to the Holy Spirit. Not those who say, Lord, Lord, I'm doing with the will of God. But those who are actually doing the will of God. And we know what the will of God is because it, it was explained in the doctrines of Jesus that you were to love one another. You were even to love your enemy. You don't, it, you don't understand what love is if you think, well, we can't love our enemy. That would be helping them out. I mean, you love your children, but do you give them all the candy and sweets they want? You know, no. I don't even do that with my own body. <laughs> you know, somebody asked me today, you know, what would I like? I said, well, you can't always have what you like. Sometimes you have to have what you need. Sometimes your kids don't need candy. They don't need time off. They need to get busy and work. <laughs> they need, need to become friends of labor and not turn it off and put it on others. And, of course, that's what we've done. We've been slothful in the labor of the kingdom, in the seeking of the kingdom, in the ways of the kingdom. And that's why Edward Mendel House and all of his buddies and Woodrow Wilson were able to, they didn't take our property away. Like I said, you already don't own your land. We've explained that. You can go look up legal title. We have the actual legal definition of legal title right out of the legal dictionary. It's been that way for since before Mendel House. <laughs> and uh, if you have legal title to your property, you don't own it. And you know you don't own it because if you stop paying rent, which we call property tax, they take it away because the property tax is a tax on the use. Now, you have a legal right to the use, but you don't own the right to the use, which is why you have to pay a use tax. We explain all that. But that's like ten pieces of the puzzle there, all in one sentence. And we've still got another, you know, this is a 15,000 piece puzzle to understand the kingdom. So this is why we're having this banking series, so that you can understand what is really going on. Uh, it says the United States Constitution, a creation of the 18th century minds, was not only outmoded, was not only outmoded, but grotesque and ought to be scrapped or rewritten. Who said that? Edward Mendel House, advisor to Woodrow Wilson. Way back then, you know, in the early 1900s, he was saying that, scrap it. And and this is the same guy who does not love capitalism. He hates capitalism. Yet he's a banker. It's because he hates the idea that you are in possession of yourself and you own your children and you own your property. Because banking was instrumental in creating legal titles all over the United States. Just as Social Security, which is socialism, was instrumental in creating a status of the individual. Whereby he cannot own the lawful title to property. He can own a legal title, but not a lawful title. 
And the money was instrumental in that. But these are all just pieces of the puzzle. And and you can't even put the pieces of the puzzle together until you're willing to see your part in creating the problem. In turning away from the righteousness of God. And, and we need to turn back to the righteousness of God. And it really is obvious what the righteousness of God is if you actually read the biblical text with an open eye and an open mind and an open heart. And that's what we need to do. We need to go back to the ways of Christ. And something will take place. In our society, in our lives, in our minds, and in our hearts. But we have to be willing to see where we went wrong in order to head the right direction. Or we will just head the wrong direction again. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. And uh, so let's see if we can't try to figure out what it is that we haven't been doing so that we can figure out what it is that we should be doing. We know that the slothful shall be under tribute because Proverbs tells us this. And slothful in what? This is the problem that a lot of people don't realize. And of course, Jesus told us what we were slothful in. That we, the, the Pharisees were not attending to the weightier matters. They were slothful in the weightier matters. Uh, which includes the care that comes with pure religion. Because the weightier matters is law, judgment, mercy, and faith. Mercy has to do with that social safety net. Mercy is the social safety net, or, or found in the social safety net of a society. But you can't make a really good social safety net in society if you're giving power to somebody to take away from your neighbor, to force, to, because really, it's not the stuff you take away. That is damaging as much as it is the right to choose how to redistribute the wealth of your stuff. I mean, your stuff, your wealth, the products of your labor, the products of the labor of your whole family, that's supposed to be yours. And you should redistribute your wealth Amongst those who are the deserving poor, the needy of society. And in that process, you have to really, to do it right, you're going to have to go to the Holy Spirit. Which is this source of insight that is not dependent simply upon what your eyes see and your ears hear. What's in your brain. What's in your your mental process which is the tree of knowledge just the information you have to have this second insight this revelation in you to do it right and of course a lot of people aren't even have no idea what I'm talking about and they're handing $10 bills out their car window to a guy on the side of the road with a sign and and a lot of other things they'll send send a check off to uh the Gates Foundation, <laughs> you know, or whatever, or to some charity. 
that they think is a charitable institution. They don't really check it out. They don't don't really follow up on where that money goes. And there's whole studies out there that are done by volunteers who go out and look at different charities and rate them based on how much money they take in and how much money actually goes to the purpose of that charity. And there's an awful lot of those charities that the vast majority of the money never gets to anybody to help them. Uh, they may help lots of people, but if over 50% of the money that you give to that charity doesn't go to help anybody, I mean, you could you could say, well, we are paying these doctors who go and help these people, and we're paying them something, and they're volunteering some of their time, but we pay their expenses or whatever. Well, then you can say all that money goes to help the people. It doesn't go right into their pockets, but it actually provides a service. And that's the way they figure it. And still, more than half of the money that goes into the charity never goes to actually helping directly or indirectly the people. Uh, some charities, most of the money goes to getting more money. Fund drives. <laughs> to get more money. Paying time uh, to get more money. And so, that's not a good deal. Uh, but the reality is, is that in a free society... It will be up to you to create the system whereby you redistribute wealth by your choice. Because if you take away the choice of a man, he becomes this person, this thing, this instrument. And you end up with tyrants. So, that right to choose is the responsibility to choose. And if you're slothful in that right and you turn it over to somebody else, you're not attending to the weightier matters and you will end up under tribute. And and that's what's happened. Is you've been slothful. You haven't been practicing pure religion. Pure religion is how you take care of the needy of your society. The widows and orphans and needy of your society. The stranger in your midst even. If he is in need. You don't just give to everybody. That was one of the things this anti-capitalist guy who thinks he's a Christian was constantly saying that in the Bible, anybody who's poor can come and pick pick fruit out of your, your orchard, can come into your garden and take crops from your garden. Because you, you don't have the, they have the right to glean from your field. Well, that's not true. That's that's not what they're trying to say there. That that's just a recipe for chaos. When they say you know you give widows and orphans a right to glean in your field into the corners of your field, it actually says the corners of your field. Doesn't say the whole field. They can't come in like a bunch of locusts and just start you know come in and start swathing away with their own swather. And they say, well, it was just standing here. We actually actually know a guy. Came from Lapine, drove out to Christmas Valley, driving around, saw these haystacks in Christmas Valley under sheds and everything, and they had fences, but usually they, a lot of times the ranchers would leave the gates open, and the rancher might live a half a mile away, or more, in some instances, because they buy up fields that are in existence, and they may not be able to see their barn from their house. 
And the guy just pulled into one of the barns who was loading up the hay into the back of his pickup. And the owner came. I know the owner. I wouldn't want to cross this owner. (laughs) He's a real nice guy. But he's one of those guys that if you hit him in the chest, you would hurt your fist more than it would hurt his chest. (laughs) But uh, he said, he came up to the guy. He was telling me. He came up to the guy. He says, what are you doing? He says, I'm getting hay. And he says, do you have a right to this hay? He says, well, it's just sitting here. (laughs) Yeah, but did you... Because he, the owner was thinking that the guy bought hay from somebody and he got lost and got to the wrong haystack. <laughs> he thought he was getting it from somebody else's haystack, but it was getting it from his haystack. And no, this guy was just loading up hay because it was just sitting there. Well, he's just gleaning in the field. He's just taking stuff out of the field. <laughs> no, the guy who was talking about you know, the poor have a right to glean in the field. It says the corners of the field. <laughs> that they weren't supposed to harvest the corners of the field and leave it for the poor. And again, these are metaphors. If you if you had a swather that, you know, good getting the corners, you can do that. But the idea is that you were to share with the needy. And the idea of gleaning was that the needy had to do some work. They didn't have to plant it. They didn't have to buy the seed. They didn't have to plow the field. They didn't have to water it. But they at least have to, you know, come and and cut it down and take it home and thrash it out. And it's suggesting that the, the poor need to work a little bit too. I actually know where guys were farming potatoes and they they'd gotten all they needed and there were all kinds of potatoes left in the field some of them are a little bit small or or what have you and uh they invited everybody from town to come out and take all the potatoes they wanted and i mean you could go out there and just fill hundreds of bags there were so many potatoes left in the field nobody came nobody wanted to come well all you have to do is pick them up oh well that's too much work <laughs> I think that's lawful. Just, just my opinion. But it's about the fact that you're supposed to have the choice of how to redistribute your wealth in capitalism. And you need to not be slothful in the ways in which you distribute your wealth in capitalism. Otherwise, you will create a vacuum. And nature deplores a vacuum. And the next thing you know, people will be trying to create a socialist state. Like the United States. It's a socialist state. Now, even even Denmark, they want to say, no, we have a capitalist economy. But, of course, not really. But it's more capitalist than most of the socialists in America, like Bernie Sanders wants to think. Uh, because they, it's easier to open a business in Denmark than it is in the United States. And they, they, although there's a lot of taxes in Denmark, because they are a socialist society, they have a huge, giant social safety net to take care of the needy of their society. I know people who live in Denmark. And, you know, the, the, one of the problems is, is that when you get injured and you go to the hospital, your parents or your relatives have to get down there to make sure they don't euthanize you. Because that that's how degraded they've gotten. And they, there's a lot of good things that go on there. And this is all parts of the pieces of the puzzle. 
is that you can have a lot of good pieces put together. You know, that's what people do when they put the puzzle together. They put this little part together and they say, oh, yeah, I got all the stuff in the chicken shed here and I got all the stuff over here in the, you know, the, the fence and, you know, but I don't know what to do with all these other pieces. Well, you don't have the picture until you got all the pieces in the place. So, slothful in the weightier matters is destructive to society. And to not be slothful means you have to be responsible and you have to have the power of choice. This is why you weren't to create a golden cap or a central bank and why Jesus talked against putting all your money in a bank. And why was he even talking about that? Because he was in the temple, which was a bank. And when he turned over the tables, he wasn't actually tipping over tables. He was turning over the bank back to the people. Because it was that kind of bank. It wasn't a private bank. It was a public bank. And he was saying, now, I'm giving you back the right to run this bank. But I'm telling you how to run the bank. One thing, you have to forgive debt. See, a regular bank can't forgive debt. A commercial bank, as we think of bank today, they can't forgive debt because... They're a commercial bank and they have a fiduciary responsibility. They, The money they're loaning out isn't even theirs. The average private bank is not a private bank, but it's a bank of the Federal Reserve. And so the money they're loaning out is Federal Reserve debt notes. And they're not even loaning out those debt notes, really, they're because it's a fractional reserve system and we could go into all the details of that but it's going to take more than a time than we have and that's why we write the articles and there's lots that you can find out about this but the reality is what's banking look like to Jesus you're the deposit you're the the safekeeper you're the treasury of the kingdom and where you are that's that's the bank. It's not a central bank. It's a diverse bank. You can forgive debt. Because you, you're, what you own, you have a right to. See, you, you loan some money to somebody. I've done this. I put a roof on somebody's house. They paid for the materials, but they didn't pay for the labor. I put the roof on their house, and I knew they were hard up. And so they were making payments. And eventually I forgave the debt. I, I, I put a condition on it. You know, they, they had to, they were already doing this. I said they had to teach my daughter art. She was young and interested in art. And I said, you, you have to teach her art, which meant that she would come over and they would paint together or, or draw together or make ceramics together. And they loved doing it. It was fun. But she didn't owe me for the roof anymore. Just forgave the debt. I can do that. If I was a commercial banker, I can't forgive debt. Because I have a fiduciary responsibility. Did you know there's banks today? What we call banks. They're not really banks. As a matter of fact, they, they're all over the world. And, but many countries have a law that you can't call them a bank. But they do all the stuff that a bank does. But they do one thing that a bank doesn't do. They forgive debt. Because see, a bank can't forgive debt, as we use the term today. But they're functioning like a bank. They look like a bank. But they can forgive bet, debt. And why, why do they have that? Well, that's a credit union. And that's what a similar 
to what we have today as a credit union is what they were doing in Acts 6 with the seven men. They had a bank. See, you say, well, a credit union charges interest and interest is usury. No. Usury is profit. You, you can loan somebody something and charge something for the loaning of that thing, but it's not usury unless it's for profit. Because you may have a, an expense in loaning something. You say to somebody, I'm going to loan you my money. I'm going to put my money in your credit union. And your credit union is going to pay you a little tiny bit of interest, theoretically. They don't actually have to do that. They don't have to pay you that interest. But they could. A lot of people want to see that. But they can also loan out that money and charge that person they loan it to interest rate. And that interest comes back to the credit union. But if the credit union, you know, because the credit union has bills, light bill, maybe they're renting space, who knows? Paper, have to buy paper, ink to keep track of all this. Uh, they have to have a security system to make sure people don't steal your money. All that costs money. And they have to pay those bills because they're providing a service. That's a service. And you're paying for that service by a percentage of the money, uh, of the cost of loaning you money so you can have a house, a car, whatever. And, uh, but if they accidentally make profit, they paid all the expenses and they have a profit left over, they have to give it away to charity. They can't keep it. And the seven men who are running the system, which they just hire somebody to do it, but they can't take a wage. That's, that's the rules. And, and at least it was a few years ago when I looked into it. That's a very kingdom oriented path to take. But would take people to do it, and they, if 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 a thousand people started a, his church credit union, they could do that, and if they probably have money in another bank now that is a fiduciary bank that can't forgive loans, and they probably have loans. Many people have loans from those banks, so they buy a house or car, start a business. They can move most of those loans over to the credit union. They can forgive debt. And if it's a his church credit union, theoretically, his church people are starting to wake up to the responsibilities of a free society. I mean, you're not going to suddenly go over and everybody starts using gold and silver. That's just not going to happen. Now, it will happen once everybody turns their Federal Reserve notes, what they have, into toilet paper because there is no other toilet paper and the Federal Reserve notes are worthless, (laughs) which may be coming down the line. But, see, one of the things of a free society is you have to organize yourself. So, if you're slothful in the weightier matters, the mercy, the social safety net of your society, you will not care for your neighbor because your neighbor's not important. What's important is how much money you got in the bank or how much you got buried out in the backyard. Those are important because that's your social safety net. Or, you know, if you have a president who's willing to forgive your student loans, you think, well, that's really good for me. <laughs> 
yeah, they they really don't. They're not inclusive. They just want to include you in their debt. That's what they want. They don't want anybody left behind. But uh, when it comes to pure religion, nobody's practicing pure religion. All the people going to churches, they're not practicing pure religion. They're not taking care of the needy of their church through faith, hope, and charity. Most of the needs of their church is taken care of by men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other. Which, according to the doctrines of Jesus, you are not to be that way. So banking on the kingdom is first organizing in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands to take care of the needy of your society. Because in pure religion, you provide for the needy of society through fervent charity. And I'm using that word fervent charity because I have an article on fervent charity. I'm using the word pure religion because that's what's in the Bible. And I have an article that explains what pure religion is. It's it's the daily ministration through charity alone. And that's opposed to a system of force and fear, which is what FDR imposed. You were going to have to pay in. He started it out where you didn't have to pay in much. And he couldn't have sold it if he said, well, we're going to take 14% of your labor from you just for your Social Security. Nobody would have gone for it. But if you say, oh, you know, like 1.5% or 1%, and then we start taking care of you, people say, well, that sounds okay. It's social insurance. It wasn't social insurance. It was sold as if it was social insurance. We have articles on Social Security. On the app, we have books that you can download for free on the Internet that explain to you, quoting the guy who wrote the system, it's not social insurance. It's not insurance. You may still owe it even if they're not giving out any benefits. It's the Corby system of statutory bondage. It is the bondage of Egypt. And FDR, not Pharaoh, FDR started it in America with the Social Security Act. That's one of the pieces of the puzzle why you already don't own your property and have to pay, if you want to keep using it, you have to pay the use rent or use tax. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not trying to tell you how to get out of the tax. If you owe the tax, you have to pay the tax. But the system is coming to the point where it's going to absolutely and utterly collapse. But that's not why I'm telling you how this works. That's not why I'm showing you what things that you can actually do now. There's a, a part, part in the Bible, I can't remember the verse right off, where it talks about people listening to Jesus in the temple, in the bank, in the national bank. And he's listening to, they're listening to him. And they're wondering what they can do. Well, he told you what you could do. He told his disciples what to make the people do so that they could do it. Now, they weren't going to make them do it with a whip. There is a, what you need to do is sit down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands and start caring for one another. Because the legal charity of the Corbin of the Pharisee kills care. That's what a lot of these bankers go to these big meetings in like, what, what was it, in Big Sur or wherever it was over there on the coast. They had a place uh, where they, they meet every year and they... They have a big owl there and they have these big bonfires and they put on a play. Well, the play is to kill care. Because that's, you kill care for your neighbor when you implement legal charity. 
in your society. John the Baptist knew that. He says, you don't do it by force. You do it by charity. You do it by love. Same word, charity, love. Jesus said, you do it by love. You do it by charity. But the modern church says, 90% of it you can do by force. We'll do 10% of it here. Yeah, you know, we don't really need to help anybody out here because they're getting a big check from the government because that check's going to shrink with inflation. But we'll, we'll send it to Africa. There's always some place to send it to Africa or South America. Used to be China. But now we don't send it to China because they have their own legal charity system called communism. You know, and, you know, back in the days of Davy Crockett, I have, I just sent out a email to everybody that was is on the network, which is an email network. It's the way we send out our newsletter and and news. That's one way. The other way is that you sit down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands, and you have a minister. You pick them, and I I will send things to them, and they can send it to you. I will show them where things are that are that have increased uh, dramatically in the last weeks. And if you have a question, you can ask them. And they will tell you where the answer is. And so, that's a network. Because otherwise, you wear out Moses. <laughs> if every time you have a question, you have to ask me, that's not going to work. Even Jethro knew that. But we're constantly, because I hear questions, I go and I not only tell the answer to individuals, I go and I put it on our website. And I do these shows and I'll put these audios on the pages eventually and try to help you. And now now we're gearing up to start making videos. But it doesn't do you any good if you just hear or even see what I say. You have to actually repent and start seeking the kingdom of God, the government of God. And the government of God puts you in charge where you must exercise your responsibility in caring about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself. Now, it would be good to start this with other people that are starting to see this too. I mean, if you're just going to go out and help everybody on your block, it's not going to go far unless you're Elon Musk or somebody and got plenty. But it's not going to go very far. So you sit down with others who are willing to sit down with you, start caring about others as much as you care about yourself. Now that's the, that's breathing life back into care, which legal charity for the last hundred years or more in America has been killing care. Which is why you got to the point where people are raped in the streets and nobody does a thing. They they used to just shut their shades, you know, shut their windows. People actually saw people turning away from somebody in need and closing their windows and closing their blinds and looking away. But now they'll stick their cell phones out and get a picture, (laughs) get a video and post it. Yeah, this lady was getting raped right in the street. I got a video. Didn't do anything about it. Didn't stop it. But I got a video. That's because you've already killed care and the people sit in darkness. And your churches are just as much to blame. The modern church, 
seems to prefer to sit in darkness. Doesn't want to see that you need to care about your night. You need to attend to the weightier matters. We'll be right back. Welcome back. So the modern church seems to prefer to sit in darkness. Like the Pharisees, they are making the word of God to none effect with their system of social welfare, which was what Corbin was. Corbin meaning sacrifice. And it's actually uh, the word Corbin, which is the actual, we'll see the Greek word Corbin, which has actually come down to us through the ages from the Hebrew word Corbin, which is uh, Kuf Resh Biet Nun, uh, but in the Greek, it's we see the word Corbin. In the English, we see it in Corbin, but with English letters. In the Latin, we see uh, Q-O-R-B-A-N. In the Quran, in the translations of the Quran, they they translate it K-O-R-B-A-N. But uh, the reality is that means and meant sacrifice, and it was the sacrifice provided to the Levites to provide a daily ministration for the needy of society. That was the feast. That that free bread of the Levites, which also included meats and everything else, was the social safety net of the people. And the better the Levite was at it, the more the people would give him. Because they tithe to him, not according to 10%, but tithe to him, 10 families, tithe to him according to his service. That's what it says in the biblical text. I looked at the original Hebrew. It says they tithe to him, they gave to him according to his service. It was a tithe because it came from 10 families. Each of those 10 families would give to him according to his service. And they provided a social safety net through charity. Even though you nowhere in the Old Testament do you find the word charity. Now, I always thought that was amazing. They, did, they hadn't invented it yet? No. They just called it free will offerings. It's charity when it's free will offerings. When it's forced offerings, we call it legal charity. Legal meaning bound. Or binding charity, a forced charity. That's what you should call legal charity, is actually forced charity. We call it taxes. If you're providing the social welfare net, or the social safety net of your society through taxation, you're headed to Babylon. And of course you've been doing that since 1933, and you actually started a little bit earlier, but they really got a huge leap and bound in 1933 and another one in the 60s with LBJ's War on Poverty, which Cloward and Piven targeted the black community. Of course, that was part of the idea of LBJ, Lyndon Baines Johnson, to target the black community to get their votes. And of course, it was devastating effect which was predicted 2,000 years ago by John the Baptist, by the apostles, by Paul, by Jesus, because that's how you cause the word of God to be to none effect. 
is that you give up your right to choose on how to redistribute your wealth to somebody else. So now he gets to decide how to redistribute your wealth. And what he mostly does is use your wealth, your value, to borrow money from the Federal Reserve. (laughs) And all the countries are doing this. If you go to our article on Federal Reserve, you will see, you know, and I haven't talked a lot about this. I, I've added a lot more to the, the Edward Mendel House page. I've added links between that and the Federal Reserve System uh, link that we have at preparingyou.com. And I'll be adding more and more videos and audios to try to explain this. But the Federal Reserve System, why was it even created? Whose idea, What? whose brainchild is it? Well, it, it's been around since Nimrod. It was around at the golden days of the golden calf. And, and the elements of it, the pieces of the puzzle, because it's not like just a bank issuing notes to represent its deposits. It's a fractional reserve system, which is much different. You know, like if a bank had uh, $500,000 in gold, you know, an ounce of gold being worth $20 by their stamp, which we talked about in the previous, what the, why that was a mistake, which is another piece of the puzzle. But he had $500,000 in gold. He could issue 500,000 notes or, you know, less number, maybe some notes would be worth 10, uh, gold dollars. Maybe it'd be worth a hundred gold dollars. So you'd have the denominations of how much gold you could get for this note at that bank. And, uh, you know, I tell you a story, maybe we'll get to it, but, uh, how even without a Federal Reserve System, how that could be dangerous. And, but anyway, uh, the reality is, is he could do that. And you have to be careful how you do that. But that's a two-party note. That's him and the gold is in his bank. And you'll have to get to go in there to find out if it's really there. <laughs> you have to trust him. So it creates trust. But the reality is that that's what the note works for. And I'll tell you the story. There was a guy up in Alaska. I think he was in Alaska. No, it wasn't Alaska. It was up in the state of Washington. Up there off of the Olympia Peninsula. And uh, there was a ship that came in and everything. And and he discovered that the bank there in, up there in like Seattle. I don't think it was actually Seattle, but it was near there. Was in serious financial trouble and not cashing its notes anymore. There was a shortage at that bank. There was a run on that bank. And he had a bunch of the notes from that bank. And he thought like, oh my goodness. Uh, I can't get my notes cash for cash. I can't cash my notes for real money. For lawful money. He got on a horse with his notes. And run like the wind. <laughs> to the south. Rode from Washington State 
down through Oregon, down through California. It could have been Portland. I can't remember where he started. But anyway, uh, he rode as fast as he could. He had to change horses. You know, you, what you do is you go somewhere and you give somebody money, but you give your horse because you're trying to get to the south real fast. And uh, and I suppose he gave some of those notes for, <laughs> for the new horses. But eventually he got to San Francisco where there was a branch of that same bank who didn't know about the run yet in up north. And he went in and he cashed his notes for real gold. <laughs> and then the sailing ship that was headed south uh, to tell that bank that there was a problem uh, uh, was uh, not there in time because this guy had gotten there quicker. So, so that's one of the problems with notes. You, it, it revolves with a lot of trust. But the reality is, with the Federal Reserve System, they say on their website that the notes have no value because originally when they were issued, they were issued with the statement on the note as a part of the contract of the note. It was redeemable and lawful money, which, of course, you would know immediately that Federal Reserve notes are not lawful money. Just by reading that one little phrase that used to be on the notes, redeemable and lawful money, because you don't go in and redeem it for other notes. You go in and redeem it for lawful money, which would be actual cash, which would be gold and silver, which is substance. And when you were using that substance, which had some sort of intrinsic value to people, for all, I mean, you could use all kinds of substance, like I said with the original explanation at the beginning of the program, where you were using grain, like they did in Egypt. They used grain as money. And they could actually create deposits of grain with certain people, and they would identify that you you had so much grain coming to you with a little clay tablet or coin that would have etchings on it, be banked, uh, baked and stamped so that we knew that, of course they knew these people and so you knew you could go there and get this much grain for that little coin. So that could be used as money. It was all temporary. It wasn't a three-party contractual note that, in, that, Brings in problems with Stanick versus White and legal title and all that stuff, which we explained in great, great detail. But the reason we're explaining this is so that you will realize where you're at, so that you can figure out where you are to go and where you should be going is where Christ said to go. So the original Federal Reserve note was redeemable in lawful money, so therefore it wasn't fiat. And if you go listen to the recording that we made in the afternoon that's over there on the Edward Mendel House webs page at preparingyou.com, we explain that I don't think he said that because when it was originally issued, it was not fiat money. So he wouldn't have said that. He wouldn't have called it fiat money because it was redeemable then. Of course, after 1933, with HJR 192, another piece of that puzzle, it was no longer redeemable to citizens of the United States. Well, what's a citizen of the United States? That's another piece of the puzzle, which is why we wrote the article, Citizen. (laughs) So that you understand there are multiple kinds of citizens. I mean, you go to England, 
you can get like five different kinds of passports depending on the status as a citizen. In America, you can get, I think, about two, maybe three. I haven't seen the third one, but I've seen two. But they're all passports. It's, it's not, you get a different passport, it doesn't change anything. What changes something is if you think differently, repent, turn around and start going the other direction. You can't even get to where you need to go by your own power. But at least if you start going, you know, everybody says, well, this is all prophesied. You know, the, the traveling merchants of the earth would have a full stock, even men's souls and everything. But what side of that prophecy are you on? You know, because th- this is where it comes down to, the separation of the goats and the sheep. Well, what side of that, you know, that was another thing, the guy who hates uh, uh, this idea of owning your own stuff. He hates capitalism. He says that all, God said all nations are evil. That's not what he said. <laughs> he actually talks about all nations coming and he separates the sheep from the goats. Uh, but the reality is, to stay on topic here, is that what you want to do is start going the way of Christ. Repenting and seeking the kingdom of God. And we're showing you some of the ways in which to do it. To tend to the weightier matters, you need to come together. And, you know, I explained, okay, yeah, you can tell that it's not fiat money because it's still redeemable and lawful money. It's an actual note. It's not fiat money. It has a value because you can exchange it for value. And they're still saying you can and you still could. You could go into any bank and buy silver dollars for exactly the denominational amount on it. You could do that even after HJR uh, 192 back in 1930s. But you couldn't get gold back in the 1930s. We went off the silver standard, you know, and, and well, 64, they started going off the silver standard because they started making coins that weren't silver anymore. They had a little bit of silver and copper and we were the only ones, I think, that ever did that. And the reason why is because they didn't repeal the copper Coiny jacked and, and for other reasons. But the reality was is that you you could go in and they would give you one of these new silver dollars. But you're so ignorant, so sitting in darkness, your churches had led you so far away from the righteousness of God, you didn't even realize some did. Well, some realized that there was value in that silver and they collected silver and all that stuff. But now we're off that. And now you can't go in anywhere and get that. Now, like I said, back in the 60s, Sheikah Saudi Arabia could still go in and get a $20 gold piece for about $20. Where you would have to pay 70 or more dollars for the same gold piece. All part of this process. What is the process back what was all this process trying to do? What was Paul M. Warburg and Paul W. Warburg and all these Warburgs trying to do by creating these systems in Germany and for Hitler and, and the United States for FDR and in Australia? Why were they going around all over the world to do this? Why were the few countries that were not 
did not have Federal Reserve systems, but now do, like Panama and East Timor and some of these other countries, Iraq. Why do they all have Federal Reserve systems? Libya. What, what, what's the point of that? Because they want to kill care. That's why they wanted to create these social welfare systems that exercise authority. That's why you can go way back to Polybius and he will tell you that the masses, when they have an appetite for benefits and the habit of receiving them by the rule of force and violence, that it changes them. It alters their thinking. Changes the way they think about everything, about their neighbor, about their own family, about their rights. They think they still have rights, but they don't exercise responsibilities. Not going to happen. So we have, you know, we have all these recordings, we have all these articles. You should be studying this, pondering it, praying about it. But then you should also, now to teach you the details of the kingdom, I can't tell you what to do from day to day. That's the Holy Spirit's job. But I tell you that once you start setting down the lies that you have come to believe is true, that you're born again while you're still doing works of iniquity. John tells you, if you're still doing iniquity, you're not born again. That's just your imagination. If you still think iniquity is okay, you haven't repented. You have to repent of thinking that iniquity is okay. And there's, we should have a 10,000, we'd have to have a 100,000 piece puzzle to show you all the things that are iniquity. But they're all summed up in the 10 statements that you call commandments. Which are telling you how the universe works. This cause and effect universe. Created by the God of creation. The divine intelligence. You're not to be coveting your neighbor's goods. You're not to be making contracts. With the gods. The men who exercise authority one over the other. The men who set up your judges. Your rulers. Your lawmakers. You don't need lawmakers. You already have the law. Like I say. Abortion is already unlawful. You think you're going to save people by making it illegal? You're looking into the abyss. You're trying to become the ruler of your neighbor, thinking that you can legislate morality. Most people are aborted because of economic reasons. You know, the... The black population should be much higher in America today than it is by the the number of people that were black back in 1900, the number of immigrants that have come in. There should be far more blacks in America than there are today, which is fine with me. It's not fine with me that there aren't, as a matter of fact. Why aren't there? Because the abortion clinics target the black community. And they they are successful in the black community because Cloward and Piven, we have an article up, Cloward and Piven strategy, targeted the black community with their New Deal, with their war on poverty. 
to get as many people on their social safety net through men who exercised authority as they could because they knew that that would destroy and degenerate the black community and make it impotent. And it did. So there's far less, if you really care about blacks, get rid of welfare. If blacks really care about black, other blacks or whites, I mean, I even hate the idea of thinking, caring about blacks or whites or anything. Care about other people. If you care about other people, you will sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, create a social safety net that's operating on fervent charity, and start give, breathing life back into care for one another. Not anger at the bankers. Not anger at Joe Biden. Not anger at at uh, Fauci. <laughs> but uh, you can even be angry at yourself for a couple of minutes. Then you have to forgive yourself <laughs> for being so blind. And start moving, seeking towards the kingdom of God. Start caring about one another with fervent charity. And then you will be preparing yourselves, especially in the days ahead when things are really going bad like they were in Egypt before the people were set free. You would be learning the skills and art of freedom. You would be setting down the nonsense of people who are worried about, do I sleep when I die or do I go to heaven or do I go to the fiery place? All the distraction from the weightier matters. Or thinking, oh, capitalism is bad because it uses usury. Christ even says, the guy who just didn't do anything with the talent that was given him, just buried it. Christ says, you'd have been better off if you loaned this out for interest, for usury. Gave it to the exchequer and loaned it out for interest. You'd have been better off if you'd done that. You'd have been better off if you were a banker than to do nothing. That's the way God looks at it. You're, you're not put on the side of condemnation because you don't have the right theology. Because you said something wrong that was in opposition to the theologies, many of which were created by the Constantinian church. Christ never said anything about them, hardly at all. But the Constantinian church actually exiled people and exercised authority over ministers and bishops of the real Christian church. Exiled them out of the cities in which they served. Because they didn't think the way the Constantinian church bishops thought. You have to remember when the Edict of Milan was passed, thousands upon thousands of people got baptized and called themselves Christians. Did things, talked about Christ, talked about Jesus, but they didn't repent. They still desired benefits from men who exercised authority one over the other. Something Christ said, it is not to be that way with you. And that church started by Constantine has come down to us through this age. Lots of bumps and grinds along the way. Lots of different denominations were created. But until you realize that you're killing 
your own soul. You're bringing your, you're making merchandise of yourselves and cursing your children with that same curse. As long as you covet your neighbor's goods through men who call themselves benefactors, rulers, men who are rulers, who exercise authority one over the other. If you're still going to them for your public religion, your legal charity, your welfare. And I'm not saying the answer is not to throw away your social security card and stop taking the benefits. That's not where Christ started. He ends up way at the end, you know, come out of them, my people, lest you be partakers of their sins. But what he starts with is seek the kingdom of God so that you have the social safety net of Christ in place. That's what the church is supposed to be. The social safety net of Christ. The Corbin of Christ. The charity, the fervent charity of Christ. But we don't put your money in our central treasury. We want it in your pocket. In order to be effective, you need to gather together according to the ways that Christ did command. And until you're willing to do that, I don't, I don't know if there's any salvation for you. There is. It's waiting for you. Christ died that you might be saved. But you have to care. You have to seek. You have to repent. Till then, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.